Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Montreal zone on left wing. McKayev shoots, scores. Clean wrist shot from the top of the left circle by Ilya McKayev. I thought it was a really, like, really good game. 600, uh, 200 foot game by everybody. Good kick. Seattle wins it. 29 26. There's some guys that, uh, that sucked tonight. That team sure did suck last night. They just played sucked. I've seen teams suck before, but they were the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. Good morning, Vancouver. 701 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. Mine is Bruff. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I am Mike Halford. I just mentioned Jason Bruff is not here. He's on vacation this week. I don't know why there's barking. Uh, I'll say hello to the rest of the crew. Good morning to you, Andy Cole. Good morning. And good morning to you as well, Greg Ballard. Hello, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by... The Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We start right in the middle of hour two. It's only a two-hour program here on a holiday Monday. Uh, this hour of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics is Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is a holiday Monday. We're big on traditions here at the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So, if you're listening on a holiday Monday, maybe you got called into work. Maybe you've got some errands that you got to run really early on a holiday Monday. If you're out and about, or even if you're just listening to the show on this non-traditional work day, text in, won't you? Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. We will be reading hellos, how you doings, throughout the morning. Also, important to note, on a holiday Monday, we are giving away a pair of tickets. Yes, two tickets to go see. Bo Horvat and the New York Islanders come to town Wednesday, this Wednesday, November 15th, Isles Canucks, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. We are giving away a pair of tickets to the best what we learned of the day. Hashtag it WWL. Let us know what you learned over the last 72 hours in sports. Don't forget to add a ticket emoji into your text. You'll be entered into the grand prize contest for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks play the Islanders Big game. It's Bo Horvat week, everybody. Uh, Wednesday, November 15th. Uh, as for what's happening on the program today, two guests. It's a two-hour show, 7 to 9 o'clock at 7.30. So in the second segment of the first hour, Mike Tannier is going to join us. Our NFL insider from the Messenger. Big win for the Seahawks on Sunday. Another last second, another real tight one down the stretch over the Commanders. Uh, we'll talk to Mike about that. We'll talk to about the return of Kyler Murray, a whole bunch of other stuff. 7.30, Mike Tanier is going to join the program. 8 o'clock, it is Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine. We will talk about your Vancouver Canucks on this, your home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. What a trip. 
for the Vancouver Canucks as they do a brief three-game swing through Eastern Canada. The Casey DeSmith show wins for him over Ottawa. And then last night, of course, a win over Montreal. The, the Vancouver Canucks, everybody, are now returning from this three-game Eastern Canadian road swing, having scored five or more goals in half of their games this season. They are going to kick off this week, which begins today, leading the NHL in goals with 66, leading the NHL in goal differential with 33. Oh, and they've got 11 regulation wins as well. Which I, also, I call that a wagon, I would say. They are a wagon, Greg. I don't even know what it means with the youths and their terminology, but they are a wagon. You can really feel it. So, again, this is the show. We are giving away tickets to see Bo Horvat in the aisles come to town. Horvat's big return on Wednesday. That requires a what we learn. Text to 650-650 at 7.30. It is Mike Tannier at 8 o'clock. It is Kevin Woodley. Uh, that's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. It was a story of the second period in Montreal on Sunday. The Vancouver Canucks scored not one, not two, but three times in the middle frame in a 5-2 win over the Montreal Canadiens at the Bell Center on Sunday. Connor Garland, nice game for him. First multi-point game of the season. He had a goal and an assist. Casey DeSmith, maybe the star of the road swing. 30 saves for the Canucks, who, and it almost continues to blow my mind, even though I know the stats and I know the records. Vancouver is 11-3-1 on the year. 11-3-1, one of the best starts in franchise history. Hashtag the start is swimming. They are 9-1-1 in their last 11 games. Nine wins from 11. Truly, truly a remarkable feat. Great performance yesterday. A very businesslike, very proficient. I believe the term being thrown around was predictable. A predictable effort, the way that they played, the way that they went out and took care of business against the Montreal team that if you listen to Sat and Bick talk post-game yesterday right here on Sportsnet 650, we aired it again this morning. Uh, they were talking about a Montreal team that works hard, plays hard, challenges the opposition, really embodies that fighting spirit that their head coach, Marty St. Louis, had when he was a player. But ultimately, it was the middle frame for the Vancouver Canucks that proved the difference. Garland gave Vancouver a one nothing lead about six minutes into that second period, drove the slot, redirected home an ice pass from JT Miller, who got a terrific cross-ice pass from Quinn Hughes. That put the Canucks up one nothing. Shortly thereafter, and we'll talk about getting the breaks and having things bounce your way in a little bit, but one of those happened when Christian Dvorak came in about two minutes after Garland scored, looked as though he had tied it up at one. Ah, not so fast. Play was challenged for offside. It was a pretty clear offside. I believe it was Cole Caulfield at the line that was offside. Call was reversed. Canucks go back up one nothing. shortly thereafter. Mikheyev makes it 2 nothing at the 9-17 mark. And again, we're going to talk about the bounces in a little bit. Some very fortuitous breaks in that sequence, including Jake Allen losing his stick. Mikheyev scores. It's 2 nothing. Then about 10 minutes later in the second period, Dakota Joshua scores to make it 3 nothing. A nice little backhand off a rebound from a Connor Garland shot. That line of Suter 
and Garland and um, Dakota Joshua played exceptionally well and really did throughout the trip. Mike Matheson made it 3-1 in the third. Might look like it a little close down the stretch, but then Brock Besser had an empty netter. Teams traded goals late. Uh, Arbor Jackai made it 4-2 with about under a minute left and then found money Phil. Phil DiGiuseppe scored on the empty net on a nice unselfish play from JT Miller. 5-2 is your final. So there's my Jason Bruffian rundown of everything that happened in case you guys missed it. Uh, Really, really, really solid swing. And it's funny, when you come in and we do this show after a Saturday-Sunday back-to-back, it's almost inevitable that the Saturday game always gets pushed to the background, right? We don't need to talk about Saturday. Old news, right? Like, who cares that they lost to Toronto? Does Saturday even happen? Does it exist? Yes, historically, but uh, this, you know, even though we are hyper-focusing on the win and ignoring the loss, I think it's important to note that collectively, the Canucks ticked a lot of boxes with this road trip. Andy, curious to get your thoughts on last night's win, a 5-2 victory over the uh, Montreal Canadiens, in which the team was able to bounce back from a kind of flat loss in Toronto, uh, but more importantly, head home having won two of three on the Eastern Road Swing. It was good. That's great, Andy. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was you really good. the best in the business for nothing, folks. <laughs> no, it was it was a, it was a good game. I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, uh, I was very unhappy with the Leafs game. I just hate losing to the Leafs. It's the my least favorite team to lose to, even more than the Bruins, more than the Hawks, more than the Flames. Hate losing to the Leafs. That game sucked. Uh, they were not good at all. Uh, but uh, yeah, they bounced back and had a great one in uh, Montreal. So it was, it was a good way to close I, it out. I missed the Toronto one, the Demko. I saw his stat line. Do we have uh, a goalie controversy now, or could we make one just for uh, fun? There could, it is. could we just do it for fun? What, okay. What <laughs> happened in that game? Because I I did not see why Demko struggled. Um, yeah, it wasn't his best game. But, yeah. but, they, but the whole team didn't play well. So I mean, it's not just him. Yeah, it, it was. It was. I would classify it. It wasn't like a, an egg. It was flat. Right. Toronto came out buzzing. And I mean, if we're being perfectly honest, that was one of the games where um, all the fortuitous bounces and breaks didn't especially go the Canucks way. And it's interesting because Rick Tockett spoke about it after the Toronto game. He said, look, we have to acknowledge that we've been fortunate. We've had some fortuitous breaks through this early part of the season. And Drancer had a really interesting piece. Yes, Drancer had a really interesting piece in The Athletic in the aftermath of the game, trying to explain what we mean when we talk about breaks and bounces, things going your way. Oftentimes, there's a correlation between being good and being lucky. And you can make the right correlation and say, okay, Good teams put themselves in a position to have good luck. The dangerous part of the conversation is I think what a lot of people have had about regression and PDO and expected goals and what you really are as opposed to what you're getting because things are fortuitous. And that's when people start to say and push back against the narrative and say, well, wait a minute. You can't chalk this all up to good bounces and good breaks. That's not fair to the guys on the ice. You make you're your just, own luck, right? You're just being a hater. You're being negative. And then Bruff puts a, ooh, the regression, the regression. <laughs> I think last night against Montreal, there was a couple of really good examples of what a good team does to give itself breaks and bounces, and more importantly, what you do with them. So let's go back to the second goal of the game. It's the Mikheyev goal that puts them up 2 nothing. And I was talking about this with A-Dog uh, prior to the show starting. And the sequence went, I believe it was Gooley knocked the stick out of Jake Allen's hands. On a sequence in which the Canucks had the Habs pinned into their own zone and were buzzing. 
Now, the important thing is that they were buzzing and not peppering. Right? Two totally different things. And A-Dog actually said you were getting frustrated because they weren't well, yeah. firing pucks. They were trying to like the- make a play, and Allen didn't have his stick, and I was like yelling on the TV, just shoot it at him, he doesn't have his stick. Right. And finally, McKayev came back and was like, yeah, okay, I'm doing it. But- so what happened in that instance was a lot of sustained zone pressure resulted in, whether it was a direct correlation or not, this break happening for the Canucks. Habs defenseman knocks the stick out of his goalie's own hands. Suddenly, the goalie is like, my walking cane is gone. I don't know what to do. I feel lost it's and so weird. awkward. Right? Now. It's not actually. The Laddie, sustained, was, Laddie was pushing I'll back ask, against I'll ask, I'll ask Laddie in a second about playing play goalie playing without a stick. But when that happens, um, the sustained zone pressure allows it to happen. You put a team under, and who knows what's going to happen other than things are better odds more likely than not for things to go your way. They get a good break here. The important thing is that Suzuki tries to clear the zone, has a super soft clear. It barely gets out to center ice. Kuzmenko, and this is another important thing, keeps the pedal down, keeps the pressure going, doesn't reset, doesn't take the puck back out, is cognizant of the fact that we are now in a situation in a game where a break has gone our way. Something favorable has happened. Let's see if we can keep the pressure. Let's see if we can sustain what we've got. Let's see if we can take advantage of this. Quick play at center. Puts the puck onto McKayev's stick. Really forces the issue. Forces the pressure. McKayev makes a nice move at the blue line. Walks in. Not even one-on-one or anything. But again, acknowledges the situation that a positive break has gone the team's way. Fires the wrister. Allen doesn't save it. Boom. Canucks are up 2-0. Laddie. Now I turn attention mm-hmm. to you. Just how difficult is it for a netminder to mind the net <laughs> without a stick? Because Jake Allen looked just uncomfortable without yeah. his without his walking cane. That's a good way to put it. It is a little uncomfortable. It's it's more of a comfort thing than anything else. You, obviously, you have to be more aware that your five hole is open, so sealing your five hole a little bit quicker because you don't have a stick there anymore. Uh, but also, the other biggest thing is just controlling rebounds. So if there is a shot right along the ice, usually you'd steer that to the corner or up into the netting with your stick. You can't really do that without a stick. So those are the two main points that uh, could go wrong when you're a goalie without a stick. But really, guys like Bobrovsky, they'll drop their stick on purpose to get their blocker up even higher sometimes. Right. To, so it's not really necessary in order to make a blocker save, especially where, which is where that goal went in. Mm-hmm. So if anything, it would help you get your blocker up quicker if you didn't have your stick. But the, for me, I actually tell my defenseman to keep their sticks. Don't, give, right, me don't play- give me your stick. I don't want your stick. A defenseman without a stick is way more useless than a goalie without a stick, right. in, my, in my opinion. And you're distracting the goalie by doing the whole transfer with the stick thing. So I think just if you're a goalie, you lose your stick, just... Play without it until you get a break where you can grab it or get a whistle. Jake Allen did See, the right went, thing. And he went for it because when yeah. Suzuki cleared, he's like, ooh, now's a chance. But again, Kuzmenko right away, pressure, pressure, pressure. Which is a good thing. That's what you want to do if you're the Canucks. You see a goalie without a stick. It's, like I said, it's not a huge advantage, but hey, it's it's scramble mode for the goalie. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because you know Drant's got this really good line in The Athletic. When we talk about luck, he wrote... We might talk about bounces, but what we really mean is, quote, the things you try just work and the things your opponents try just don't. Perfect example on that play, right? The Habs try to clear the zone to give their goalie enough time to get their stick. It doesn't work. You, the Vancouver Canucks, try to keep the pressure on, try to keep it sustained, and it works your way. Sometimes it's your night. Sometimes it's your night for 10 games in a row, or in the case of the Canucks, 11, where they've won nine of their last 11. And then I think this is where we get into that conversation about does good luck come from good quality? Does good quality produce good luck? 
Are they simpatico? Do they even have any correlation? But that's a nice little instance last night about probably the things that the Canucks are doing fundamentally, fundamentally getting dra- drastically different from last year that they hadn't done, you know, really throughout the Boudreaux era. Okay, uh, a couple other notes that I want to get to from last night's game. We do need to talk goaltending here uh, to answer A-Dog's question. No, don't do it. Just stop. <laughs> get oh, some help. Uh, Casey DeSmith was terrific on this trip, though. Uh, his night started early. He made a bunch of saves. I think Slavkovsky had seven shot attempts. Or sorry, seven shots and 11 attempts. He was he, by far the most notable, noticeable have for me. Like, he was everywhere. And noticeably frustrated because he couldn't get anything to go. I think he's still stuck on one goal this year. So DeSmith really locked him up. He did a good job of stopping everything that Slavkovsky put forth. Um, DeSmith wins two of three games on the trip. He finishes... With 58 saves on 64 shots in wins over Ottawa and Montreal, that's a 935 save percentage. Thus wrestling the starting job away from Thatcher Demko. And there it is. I am glad (laughs) that the Canucks went this route because we talked prior to the Eastern Road Swing about the volume that Demko had played very early in the season. I think at the time before the Ottawa game, Demko is somewhere in the neighborhood of top five in minutes played, top two in the NHL in shots faced. So to be able to go to DeSmith in two of three and get wins in both the Smith games is huge. On the year, uh, they had because his numbers are so good, DeSmith they are, 4-0-1 with a 9.22 save percentage. I don't know how closely you track these sorts of things, Laddie, but I would say that right now the DeSmith-Demko, and you notice I led with DeSmith the there, right? Not the Demko to Smith combo. The DeSmith Demko. You got to lead with your starter. The combo, they've got to be at least in the top three in the NHL in goalie tandems. Like, I think Swayman and Allmark are there 100%. Kind of the gold standard, isn't it? I think, and speaking of gold, I think the Vegas Golden Knights duo of Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill statistically is right there. But you're talking about two guys in Demko and DeSmith that are plus 920 each. I don't know. I don't think Demko's dropped below that after the game in Toronto. But uh, it's, if he had that save on the challenge, he would be. Yeah. Right. Let's not. I'm not going to do challenge talk <laughs> this morning. You know what? I don't really want to go there. Uh, let, I want to. I want to play uh, two clips here where it sounds like coach and player are almost mirroring one another. The first is Rick Tockett, the head coach on Casey to Smith, who has been so good, so good for the Canucks through his first six games of the year. Here now, Rick Tockett on Casey to Smith. I've liked him all year. He is um, solid. He looks big in the net. Um, you know, he won both games for us. Uh, what is he for? Like I, I don't. I just think he's just a terrific addition. Like uh, um, one of the well-liked guys on our team. You know, he knows his role. He's not. He's taking shots after practice. You know, he's just. He's a super teammate and uh, good for him. He's playing great for us. And now, Connor Garland, also on his teammate, Casey DeSmith, who apparently uh, played alongside Garland at a recent World Hockey Championship. So Garland was familiar with DeSmith's body of work, very impressed with the backup goalie, has given the Canucks uh, through the first 13 games of the season. I got to play with Casey this summer at the Worlds and uh, got to see how good he was. And uh, I was very excited when we made that trade. A uh, great guy and a really good goalie that I don't think a lot of people knew about before he got here. So um, he only makes our team better. And, you know, we uh, you know won both games with him on the road trip. And it's nice to have that, uh, you know, on our team this year. Speaking of Connor Garland, the off-maligned winger 
who, as may, most of you know, did request a trade. Yeah, why was he happy Garland got, or was he happy DeSmith got acquired? <laughs> Wouldn't he be like, oh, man, I'm leaving. I just requested a trade. Well, that whole narrative has changed through the first 10, 15 games of the season. Garland, maybe his best performance of the year, as I mentioned earlier, his f- first multi-point performance of the season, a goal and an assist, um, made a nice play to get a shot on net on the Dakota Joshua goal that made it 3 nothing. He also opened the scoring uh, early in the first period. Rick Tockett was full of praise for Garland. And, uh, you know, he said that that line with Puce Suter, who is what? It's Puce Scorter, right? Is that how we're Scorter. saying this? Right. Yeah, Scorter. Just and Dakota scoring. Joshua. It's, it's another instance this year of a, a line where you look at the pieces and you say, hmm, kind of a weird fit. Not necessarily sure that this is going to work. Didn't expect it. But Joshua, Suter, and Garland has been very good this year. Was very good out east. Here is Rick Tockett, the head coach, on the Garland line, saying it's been one of their best over the last few games. Garland's been playing really well. You know, He's one of the better last five, six, seven games, one of the better forwards. Um, you know, he's... Uh, He's done a nice job. I really uh, think he, uh, that line actually has been one of our better lines the last three, four games. They, they're they our best line in uh, Toronto. So um, good for them. Really good line. So uh, the Canucks will play, obviously, again on Wednesday. It's going to be a big Bo Horvat week here on the Halford and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd is going to be in with me. Yeah, I'm not going to do this solo. And as the one guy pointed out, I said 26 consecutive sports cliches. I didn't uh, want to interrupt you. You're on a roll. I don't even remember which ones I said. I'm amazed that he counted them. Yeah. I, I mean, think 26 is a bit high. Uh, yeah, but I feel like I could do it. I, I Go do, for it. I do rely, rely on cliches. Do it just to spite this guy. <laughs> uh, you know, I do it 110% of the time. Okay. As I go. try to take this one game at a time yeah. or one day at a time, one shift at a time. Uh, Jamie Dodd's going to be in hosting with me Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week. I talked to Jamie yesterday, and we both were like, okay, we're just doing – Bo Horvat week, right? Like, that's what it's going to be. It is a very interesting dynamic. Bo comes back. The team is on an, one of the greatest starts in franchise history. The Islanders are not playing especially well to start the year. There's going to be all the talk about Bo's legacy and everything else. So rest assured, there will be a lot of look-aheads, a lot of previewing what is going to be a big, very important, very profound week for the Vancouver Canucks. Probably be a, a lot of different emotions going into the Horvat game. We are going to do a lot of Canucks talk today, but it is a Monday after a weekend in which a ton of stuff happened, including the dismissal of Jay Woodcroft in Edmonton. That happened yesterday. For those of you that missed it, Woodcroft is out. The Edmonton Oilers have fired Woodcroft after a brutal 3-9-1 start through the season, 13 games in. And to hear general manager Ken Holland say it, this decision wasn't made. After the 13th game, this decision was made after that loss last week in San Jose, which many of us thought was going to be the end of the road for Jay Woodcroft. Turns out it was. Here is the general manager, uh, Ken Holland, talking about the timing and the dismissal of Jay Woodcroft in Edmonton. When I talked yesterday afternoon, the team was on the road, obviously in Seattle, um, and made a decision that uh, we were going to obviously to get the wheels in motion. Um, we had to we had to get uh, permission from the Rangers. Um, had to obviously negotiate a contract. Um, you know, we played played Saturday, played Monday, we played Wednesday. So whether it was yesterday or the day before, it wasn't something that could just transpire in 12 hours. It was you know we got we had to get him from Hartford to here. So uh, um, 
officially made the decision at some point in time Saturday during the game and made the decision that when we got home uh, last night that I would talk, I would meet with, uh, with Jay and, uh, and Dave, and I met with him this morning. So in comes Chris Knobloch from AHL Hartford, as, Jay, as Ken Holland alluded to in the clip there. Knobloch, the connection here, I think most of you do. If you don't know, he coached Connor McDavid in the Ontario Hockey League with Erie for three seasons. And there's also another addition in addition to Knobloch, and that is that Paul Coffey is going to go behind the bench as well in Edmonton. The overarching theme for me is that you bring in two coaches into a very, very tight and uncomfortable situation in Edmonton, and neither of them have much experience coaching at the NHL level. I know that Knobloch has served as an assistant before, and I know that he had a brief, brief stint as an interim head coach uh, back in New York with the Rangers when David Quinn was put on the COVID-19 protocol list. But outside of that, this is a guy that does not have a ton of NHL coaching experience. Paul Coffey has even less. Do you think McDavid had a big say in this? Based According, on their history? Now, that's an interesting wrinkle in all this. That was this. the first thing I thought of. I was like, okay, they have a history. Maybe McDavid was like, hey, get this guy. He's pretty good. So, uh, you know, they alluded, Ken Holland alluded to Jeff Jackson there, right? And that's Connor McDavid's former agent now working in an executive role with the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know... Jackson actually said that they did not consult the players on this one. He said in his experience, the players don't want to, one, be privy to coaching changes before they're made because there is a sense of responsibility. Like, hey, you're you're looking to change a coach. Part of this, if you're Connor McDavid, is like, I have no goals in my last eight games. I probably played a role in this, right? Leon Dreisaitl, I have one goal in my last 10 games. Part of the reason that Woodcroft's going is because I'm not getting it done. So Jackson said that, they didn't. I find it hard to believe that they didn't confer with him on some level about bringing in a guy. And the connections to McDavid are quite obvious, right? As for Woodcroft, he made mistakes through the start of this season. Changed the defensive structure. It didn't work. It seemed as though there was a real rigidity to what he wanted to do. They've been pretty low in, sh- in attempts given up, though. Like, and, they, and there was all that. All things considered. There was that. He wasn't getting the goaltending. But there were, you know, when they would talk about what was going on with their goals against, oftentimes it was, we are making individual mistakes, and those individual mistakes are proving super costly because they're almost always being turned into a goal. It is the head coach's job to limit those mistakes, to figure out why they're happening, and then to cut them out of the game. And to that, that is to give instruction to players within the system about, you know, don't do what Donnie don't does, meaning figure out what's going on on tape or on film, and then don't make those mistakes again. Find them, correct them, limit them. And he wasn't able to do that because consistently they were making the same mistakes, and yeah, they were being punished. Yeah, they weren't getting the goaltending. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens moving forward. But for now, Woodcroft out after a 3-9-1 start to the season through 13 games. Just a quick little background on Chris Knobloch. He's had a wild career path. If you look at where he's been all across North America, uh, he's he's basically, he's a QMJHL championship away from the trifecta in the CHL. Uh, So he's got quite a bit of history as a coach, and he's pretty well regarded. He won with Kootenai here in the WHL. Uh, So he's not just some random guy or a guy that uh, Conor McDavid really likes. He's he's actually a well-respected coach. Fun last name to say it, too. 
Knobloch. Knobloch. Is, that, Knobloch. is it related to Chuck? Not related to Chuck okay. Knobloch. Yeah, Knobloch. We, I did the research on the research on that Knobloch. You did um, the research. <laughs> so there's a lot more to get into on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We are going to spend some time talking about everything else that happened in the world of sports, including the end of the BC Lions season and a big Seahawks win. We're going to do some NFL talk next with Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger. That's all coming up. Don't go anywhere. On this holiday Monday, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You didn't care for that call, eh, Laddie? Yeah. It was a call. We're going through audio this morning. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, by the by. We're listening to audio this morning before the show. That's right. We do a lot of prep work here at the show. It may not sound like it, and but we do. I had cut. It was actually, I had a even better super cut because there was five uh, either like game winning late or walk off winning field goals yesterday in the NFL, including the Jason Myers kick and the 29 to 26 win for the Seahawks yesterday. And Laddie was like, eh, don't care for the call. Felt kind of flat. Well, yeah, I just thought there could have been a little more personality. I, you know what? I'll say this stylistically, maybe understated, but super direct and to the point. Can I play it again? Like, yeah, like, I got to hear this again because he nails every single instance of this play. 29-26 Seahawks win. Jason Myers walk-off field goal. For the Seattle win. Good snap. Good hold. Good kick. Seattle wins it. 29-26. The final. There's an understated simplicity about all of it. He says yes. good three times. Yeah, it was good. It was the field good. goal. It was a very was good play. good. Uh, Mike Tannier, a very good guest, good is patiently waiting on hold here. So I'll take care of business. Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour two, even though it's hour one. It's weird. It's like in the Matrix. Uh, this hour is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, shout out to Ed in Kelowna, Josh in his video van, John from the Big C, Mike from North Van, Dean in Victoria, and one of our favorite listeners, Sloppy Nachos. They're all here texting in and listening to Sportsnet 650 on a holiday Monday. You all now get to hear Mike Tannier from The Messenger here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. You know what the announcer was doing on that field goal call? He was letting the crowd noise tell the story for him. I think that was the idea. That, yeah, that also fits. It was. I mean, I liked the call. Did you actually get to see this call or this play transpire, Mike? Because Fox insisted on jamming the Cowboys game down everybody's throat, even though the score was approximately seventy-nine to three at one point. Uh, I I was shocked at the amount that they were going back to it. But did you get to see? much of the Seahawks win over the Washington Commanders on Sunday? No, I had to watch it on NFL Plus, and I complained about it on the messenger because that game came down to a game-winning field goal. At about the same time, Cardinals-Falcons 
came down to a game-winning field goal. At about the same time, a 41-38 to Lions Chargers game came down to the game-winning field goal, and Fox was just like, nah, we're good. Go watch uh, Tommy DeVito get the snot kicked out of him uh, for four quarters, like it or not. So for those that missed it, Geno Smith, a pair of scoring drives late in the fourth quarter, and the Jason Myers, the earlier played 43-yard field goal as time expires. Seattle, and I'll say it this way, holds off. The Washington Commanders, twenty nine to twenty six. So, Mike, from the I, I, you were trying to figure out what this means, and the Seahawks are six and three. Although you can make the argument they've gone huge stretches without playing particularly well, but they find ways to win games. The team they beat, the Washington Commanders. I think you classified them as the NFL's best bad team. How quality a win is this for Seattle? Because they had to grind it out against a team with a losing record. But, you know, I watched enough parts of that commander's team and thought, this team isn't horrible. I just don't know how good and or bad they are. It, it, you know, it's a quality win because it's an opponent that would have been 5-5, five and five, that would have been, you know, in the wild card conversation, could still creep into that wild card situation. You take them down, you get a conference win. The, the, the commanders play the Eagles tough twice. They took the Eagles overtime. They took the Eagles into the fourth quarter. They do this to teams, and it's it's a hard game to get a handle on because it was like two games. There was a defensive duel uh, for three quarters, and then there was a shootout in the fourth quarter. And I'm not sure what to take away from it. I, to be blunt, it looked like the Commanders were kind of outplaying the Seahawks in the fourth quarter, and then you get a fourth and five uh, penalty to extend a drive. And then while they're complaining about the penalty, there's too many men on the field, mm. and, and and you know Gino gets that first touchdown drive out of sort of some help from the Commanders. That, that said, these things happen. Capitalize on your opportunities. Go out and get the win, and, and that's what the Seahawks did. Okay, we got to go around some of these big quarterback stories in the National Football League because there was a lot of them on Sunday. A really interesting one in Arizona. Kyler Murray returns to the Cardinals' starting lineup. 249 yards passing, 33 rushing. He did Kyler Murray things where he ran around like a squirrel with everyone trying to chase him. <laughs> Kyler Murray is back, Mike. <laughs> now what happens? <laughs> Now what happens is, well, for the rest of the season, the Cardinals are a tough out. They're a team you can't look past. I believe the Seahawks have them again. they got to worry about them a little bit more. Uh, the 49ers have them coming up. The Eagles have them coming up. Some of the big contenders of the AFC have them coming up, and they're not going to be an easy out at all. And they're going to win a couple of games because they, they, the Cardinals did not believe the lie of saying, hey, uh, you know, go trade your – Go trade your franchise quarterback for draft picks and, and, and spend six years rebuilding or whatever the plan is supposed to be these days. Uh, this is a team that realizes, hey, we have a franchise quarterback. He can still be developed. He can learn this new system. He can kind of wipe that weird Cliff Kingsbury era out of his, out of his system and, and, and do something new. And that's what they're going to start doing. So, so they're going to be fun to watch. And again, they're going to be a team that nobody can look past. And that's not what they look like a couple of weeks ago. It's such a bizarre season for quarterbacks in the NFL. Quarterbacks are always a central figure, a major protagonist yeah. in, the, in an annual NFL story. But this year in particular, just because of guys that have moved around, guys that have come back from injury, guys that have sustained season-ending injuries. And then there's a guy like Joshua Dobbs who gets benched in Arizona. Yeah gets traded to Minnesota. Minnesota goes on a brief but impressive two-game win streak with Dobbs at the helm, including a second street victory, a 27-19 to win over the Saints yesterday. You wrote that Dobbs has taught us to think about the NFL in a new way. What way is that, Mike? Well, yeah, I, the main takeaway is football is always going to be difficult, but it shouldn't be super complicated. And- <laughs> 
you get that from watching the teams that the Joshua Dobbs Vikings beat, uh, the, the Falcons and the Saints. And the Falcons are this team that go out there and they've got 25 different players that they're rotating. And Arthur Smith talks about how, you know, it's a positionless offense and he's like this genius who's like, uh, you know, moving pieces around the chessboard. And they get beat by a guy off the street who only knows a couple of plays and is still like going over the names of the plays with the coach on the sideline during the game. Then the Saints, all we, we heard about for six or seven weeks, you know, you know, Derek Carr is still getting to know his receivers. It's, it's like Derek Carr is still getting to know his receivers. He's a nine-year vet. These, these receivers are five, six, ten-year vets in some cases. How, why is it so hard for these guys to mesh? That Saints team goes out there and loses to Josh Dobbs, who still probably only has confidently a dozen plays down and two guys to throw to in Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson. So when you hear these coaches say, well, you know, the, the precision and the timing and the process and this and that, they're blowing smoke up your butt. There's a way this can get done, especially as a backup coming in for a win or two. There's a way to teach them a couple of plays, execute properly, let them run around a little bit, get those wins, and the Vikings are showing that that's possible. We're speaking to Mike Tannier from The Messenger here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Mike is our Monday morning quarterback. It's brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. Visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. We've got a text in here, Mike, to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. It's from Greg in Granville, and he wants to know, are the Cleveland Browns good? <laughs> the Cleveland Browns have the NFL's best defense right now. Mm. Uh, I was going over some things with Aaron Schatz, the, the founder of DVOA. They're one of the best defenses of the last 20, 25 years. They get turnovers, they get sacks, et cetera. The Browns can also run the ball well. Browns kicker Dustin Hopkins is also kicking field goals left and right to keep them in games and give them wins. If Deshaun Watson was Deshaun Watson, this would be a Super Bowl, you know, shortlist Browns team. They've got enough there in every other facet of the game to do that. I, I describe in, uh, in, the, in walkthrough at the messenger, I, I describe Watson's play right now as a cross between Gardner Minshew and Taysom Hill. <laughs> and I stand by that. He wobbles passes downfield and he kind of stumbles around and scrambles, uh, you know, like two steps slower than Lamar Jackson, but he gets it done. And it's all just enough for them to win these games. So I don't think the Browns are going to sustain a Super Bowl push because Watson is not that guy. But they have enough there, defense, running game, special teams, to make it into the playoffs as they now stand. Uh, if the NFL ever wanted to make sure it wasn't going to work overseas, I think Indy's 10-6 win over <laughs> the New England Patriots on Sunday solidified. That was awful to watch really tough and it was a Patriots team that looks in complete disarray especially offensively Mac Jones yanked at the end in favor of Bailey Zappi and this really does fall at the feet of Bill Belichick who doesn't seem as though he's just doing a poor job this season he also seems at times completely disinterested in the poor job that he's done <laughs> what is going on with Belichick in New England right now and is it going to get to a point where Robert Kraft becomes impatient? I think Robert Kraft is already impatient. Uh, you know, he's a little bit old school. He's not going to fume and go on a radio show and lose his mind like Jerry Jones might, but he's impatient with what's going on. And there, he's probably looking at, you know, the next couple of weeks to say, is there any kind of turnaround? And we might see a change 
at the end of the season. I don't think that that's completely off the table. But yeah, you know, Belichick does look detached. I think I think we're responding to the you know the the shots on the sideline of Bill O'Brien screaming at Mac Jones while Belichick is like is like looking at his uh, clipping coupons or whatever he's doing, uh, standing next to them. But it's more than that. If you look at the special teams mistakes yesterday, the the weird punt that rolled 79 yards. There was a punt return by the Colts that went, I guess, like 40-some yards and set up the score and missed field goals. These little fundamental things that even when Tom Brady was gone, you know, the Patriots always took care of. Like, we take care of our business in terms of, you know, executing properly. All that stuff is starting to slip and fade on them now, and that's a sign that, you know, the whole operation is kind of rolling to a stop in New England. Mike, you're the best, bud. Thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy Monday Night Football and the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Monday. Absolutely. Take care and enjoy your week. YouTube, thanks. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, we still have a lot of stuff that we haven't got to from the weekend. We have ticked off, not like pissed off, but we've ticked off the list Everything the Vancouver Canucks did this weekend, including Sunday's big win in Montreal against the Habs. Uh, we talked about the Seahawks' big win, 29-26 to over the Manders, better known as the Washington Commanders. We do need to talk about our local football squadron, the BC Lions. And their season for the second consecutive year came to an end in Winnipeg against the Blue Bombers. This is going to be another offseason in which BC looks back and tries to figure out how they can get by what is really a dynasty team in the CFL West. This is now a fourth straight Grey Cup appearance for the Bombers. So as we said all year, and really as we said all of last year, the road to the Grey Cup goes through Winnipeg. It would have been nice if they were able to tilt things in the regular season and have that road at the very least go through BC Place but it didn't transpire. It didn't turn out that way. Look, this was a game in which even though the score was relatively close at the end, 24 to 13. Yeah, it was a double digit, but it was an 11 point game. Winnipeg was comfortable throughout. They led seven to three after one quarter, 18 to 10 at halftime, 18 to 10 in the third. They didn't go out and blow the doors off the lions, but they won every single facet quite convincingly. The Blue Bombers defense sacked Vernon Adams nine times. Nine times. That is, you're not going to win any football game when your quarterback is getting pressured and being put on the ground that many times. So, tick on the defensive side of things. Defense, offense, and special teams. Can you win all three facets? Bombers win the defensive side by sacking Adams nine times. On offense, not exactly a banner day for Zach Caleros, but... Brady Oliveira runs for 109 yards on the ground. So you've got your ground game going. That's your bread and butter. That's the signature of your offense. Take another box. You've won the offensive side of the football. Special teams. Well, defensive back Nick Hallett blocked a punt and returned it for a TD. So you've won the special teams battle as well. That really was the story. And the Lions season comes to an end. At this stage, the narrative for this team is pretty much written. Doesn't necessarily matter who's a quarterback because last year was Nathan Rourke and this year was Vernon Adams Jr. It doesn't really matter what personnel changes. The reality of it is, is that they are second best in the West. The best team, the best franchise, the best organization is Winnipeg, and they have proven to be an incredibly difficult out in that no one cannot come out until they get to the Grey Cup. Four straight for them. That is your BC Lions season wrap. Uh, I do want to get back into the hockey stuff because a few people have texted in 
to the Dunbar Lumber text line. A reminder, 650-650 is the text line. We are giving away a pair of tickets today, folks, to see Wednesday's game between the Islanders. That's right. Bo Horvat's new team against the Canucks. Bo Horvat's old team. Wednesday, November 15th, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Send your what we learns in. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? Hashtag it WWL. And then put a ticket emoji into the text that will enter you into the grand prize contest. Not a draw. It's a contest to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks play on Wednesday. Speaking of those Canucks, very interesting development out of Calgary as it pertains to the Vancouver Canucks. Defenseman Nikita Zadorov, who happens to be a client of Canucks super agent Dan Milstein. Nikita Zadorov confirmed over the weekend that he has discussed the trade with the Calgary Flames. I believe that's Canucks assistant GM, Dan Milstein. Right. So everyone knows the situation here, right? Milstein represents a number of Russian players, including a pair of Vancouver Canucks, Andrei Kuzmenko and Ilya Mikheyev. Milstein is also a regular contributor to a number of Vancouver sports radio programs, including this one. Uh, on Saturday, Milstein took to Twitter, or sorry, it was Friday night, actually, my bad, took to Twitter to stoke the trade flames, pardon the pun with flames. When someone asked if Zadorov was going to re-sign in Calgary, Milstein replied by saying, quote, I don't think so before then raising concerns about Zadorov's ice time. Over the weekend, when asked about the situation, Zadorov confirmed that he has discussed a trade with the Flames. Now, the important thing to note here is that Milstein is alluding to an ice time situation. Zadorov is averaging just over 18 minutes a night, 18.09, fifth among all Flames defensemen, th- basically half a minute less than he was getting a year ago under Daryl Sutter. Now, it's important to note that Milstein went on to say that Zadorov was the Flames' best defenseman and that the Flames' best defenseman shouldn't be playing only 18 minutes a night. Now, shortly thereafter, with all this news bubbling to the surface about a potential Zadorov trade. Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman reported on Saturday, Hockey Night Canada, that the Canucks are indeed a team interested in adding Zadorov. I should also note that Carson Soucy was hurt during the Montreal game last night, blocking a shot, did not return. They are going to evaluate Soucy when they get back, and I believe they, they flew overnight, so they should be back. He will get uh, whatever sort of you know, imaging and x-rays and everything else to figure out the severity of his injury, but he did not return after blocking a shot, and that put the Canucks down a defenseman. There is a link beyond Milstein with regards to Zadorov and the Canucks. Um, according to sources of Patrick Johnson at Post Media, uh, the Canucks had taken a look at Zadorov previously, including interest in trading for him back in June ahead of the start of free agency. But then when the Canucks landed Susie in free agency, the idea of bringing Zadorov along in a trade kind of got put on the back burner. Zadorov's in the last year of his deal. His contract expires this summer. He's on a $3.75 million hit. You know, you, you can point to all the different signs and directions here, but two things are clear. One, the guy is not happy in Calgary right now. We've played Zadorov audio on the show a few times, I think, where he's kind of voiced his displeasure about the way the team is playing. He issued a public apology on behalf of the team for how lousy the Flames are. He's have very been. upfront in his comments when the 
My question yes. is, is he is he good enough to warrant a trade, or is he more the kind of guy you just wait for UFA status? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what you want. Out I mean, I assume he's a season. bit of an upgrade over Friedman, but I mean, like, I'm not sure by how much necessarily. I don't I don't really know his game super well. He's a very strange player because the the physical package <laughs> package would kind of suggest that he's a big, bruising physical type, which he is. Uh, he's got a physicality in terms of delivering hits and clearing out the front of the net. He also scored 14 goals last year, so he's got some offensive upside. Mm -hmm. It just feels like it's a little erratic. I would say, look, Ryan Huska is a full-fledged NHL coach, and he is deeming this guy to be worthy of third-pair minutes, right? Third-pair ice time. So there's something to be said for that. Now, have guys been caught in situations before where they were getting less ice time and a smaller deployment than what they thought they deserved? Yeah, it happens all the time. Changes the scenery do that. I'll say this. Any defenseman of Zadorov's caliber that is available is going to be highly sought after because there's barely enough money for a lot of teams to make things work. And every team that's a contender right now is looking to upgrade its blue line, I would say. That 14 he scored last year, though, double his next closest of any other Right, it was a huge anomaly, yeah. right? But the fact that he could score 14, it is what it is. Like, yeah, it might have been a statistical anomaly, but he did it. Weird right? Cy Young stat line, too. He 14 goals, 7 assists. Yeah. That was an interesting year he had last year. So, I mean, again, I'm mostly putting this out there just because it's newsworthy. I'm not sure that anything is even close to being imminent. But you have to think that given this fantastic start the Canucks have been on, and from the Calgary perspective, Craig Conroy kind of laid out a blueprint where they weren't going to have a Gaudreau-type situation again, meaning we're not going to let free agents walk to the summer and then lose them for nothing. I don't know how Calgary plays this. I'm sure that they were somewhat caught off guard when the agent for one of their players took to Twitter to tell everybody that he wasn't going to resign. That's probably a bit of a fly in the ointment for um, Craig Conroy, but it'll be interesting to monitor moving forward because as we get closer to American Thanksgiving and teams start to either uh, stay in the picture or fall out of it, that's one of the major dates where GMs look at their teams and say, hey, are we going to add to this group? Should we start selling now? Do we have a realistic chance of making the playoffs or are we, are we already on the outside looking in? So something else to monitor moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, we will go into the final hour of the program. Love a two-hour show on a Monday. Rolling solos easy. Wow, they go by so fast. Yeah, we got one final hour to go. Don't eat bruff. Yeah, just stay in Mexico. It's fine. Um, Bruff's in Mexico, by the way, if you're wondering why I'm talking incessantly for the better part, part of an hour. Not, not at West Edmonton Mall. Bruff's That's really right. quiet today. Yeah, he's just not talking today. Um, the second hour of this program, we got a ton to get into, though. Kevin Woodley, NHL.com and In Goal Magazine, is going to join us to talk about this burgeoning goalie rivalry that we have in Vancouver now. Andy decided to throw it out there because he wanted to ruin the start to the season. Do we yes. have a goalie controversy between Casey DeSmith and Thatcher Demko? I told him to shut up earlier. <laughs> he refused, so we will move forward. Kevin Woodley's going to join us to talk about that in the 8 o'clock hour right at the start. Halfway through that 8 o'clock hour, as mentioned, we're giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Islanders on Bo Horvat's return to Vancouver. That is Wednesday, November 15th. If you want to win the tickets, send in a What We Learned. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL and put a ticket emoji into the text. One final hour to go. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.